0: Works in Windsor, Ontario, in harm reduction and overdose prevention. Brandon is trying to save lives in the city of Windsor. We hope
1: that Brandon's appearance on the show today will cast a new light for some of you less familiar with addiction and harm reduction techniques. So get focused for the latest edition of the First Day
0: Pod. To our latest edition of the First Day Pod, it's a pleasure to have you aboard. We're going to talk about addiction, harm reduction, some good stuff today with our special guest, Brandon Bailey. Right, Leanne? Are you excited?
2: Yeah, I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this.
0: Yes, so have I. I've been. I, I know we had a, a mishap. We we're supposed to talk a couple weeks ago, so I'm glad that you're finally on now. Brandon, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us tonight.
1: Uh, thanks for having me
0: (laughs) it's a pleasure sir i'm really excited because i think there's a lot that you could uh enlighten us upon and i mean can you tell people basically what it is that you kind of do out in the community on a day-to-day basis um
1: the major thing we do right now is like a lot of outreach um going out connecting people with resources uh if somebody's looking for uh like different supports. Um, we provide people with uh, sterile using equipment. So um, like sterile uh, needles, um, pipes, stuff like that so that uh, people are not sharing. Um, that way, you know, where it's less transmission of uh, STBBIs and um, yeah, less uh, less HIV and Hep C and stuff like that going around. Um, so that that's our main thing right now. We we were doing a drop-in, but uh our drop-in was located inside uh, assisted living. So once the uh um the pandemic started there, uh we were told that we weren't able to use that space until um whenever this is done. So yeah, we mm-hmm. now we, we just focus on uh, on outreach. That, that's our main thing.
2: And why don't you would you be able to tell us a little bit about your story and what kind of got you into this? What why it's such a big passion for you and
1: uh so i struggled with substances myself for many years um from when i was crap i'd say probably 12 until around 28. um so yeah like uh cocaine was my uh my biggest drug of choice um but I don't really look at, like, the substance was never really my problem. Um, I had a lot of trauma, um, a lot of mental health issues that I hadn't dealt with. And, you know, uh, um, using a substance was uh, was an easy escape. It was something where, um, you know, I could turn to that and uh, I didn't have to, to worry so much about... Um, whatever I was going through at the time. And, uh, everything, I, think I, I grew up having uh, very little to no, um, self-worth, self-confidence, uh, just, just when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't like myself. So, um, yeah, I used a lot of substances because it, it was something that like made me feel a little more content in, uh, in my, in my own skin, I guess. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I was, I was into that till about 28. And then I went into, uh, um, abstinence based recovery. I started going to narcotics anonymous and, um, I was abstinent for, um, up until I want to say October of 2018. Um, but I had just uh, like through, uh, um, the time that I was abstinent, I had like worked through um, my issues and stuff, and uh, you know was able to look in the mirror and uh, like the person looking back at me. And yeah, through doing all the work and stuff, it just made me um, realize that even though my head kind of told me I was this terrible person, that I wasn't this the the person that my head told me I was. So um, uh, also through recovery, I learned that uh, I had a passion for like giving back and helping others. And so, um, I feel like we're, we're given these, um, I don't even know if I want to call it a negative life experience, but we're given, we're given these life experiences, um, to be able to share with others. So like we, we have these things happen to us in our lives so that we're able to help other people that may not, um, be at a point in their life where they're able to help themselves through it. So yeah, through, through being abstinent for that time and stuff, it made me, um, it it made me, you know, like, like the person that I, that I was and, uh, and, and worked through a lot of the issues that I had and stuff. So I, I say that because, um, through recovery a lot of the times you're told like once an addict always an addict and mm-hmm. you know if you ever pick up or use anything ever again you're gonna go like uh they call it relapse and you're gonna go into like full out um basically like you're gonna ruin your life if you ever touch anything again and that's not my experience my experience was uh um i decided to like um i i've tried a couple substances over the last few years and um because I don't have that trauma there anymore and I don't have anything that I'm running from or hiding from. It's something that I'm able to dabble with once in a blue moon now, and it doesn't ruin my life. So, um, I I work from more of a, like a harm, harm reduction lens. So Mm -hmm. it's something where now I just have to be aware that, um, I have to be aware of my surroundings and I have to be open and I have to be honest. And you know, uh, a lot of the times in recovery, uh, people feel like if they go and they use something like they've lost everything. And if, if I have to go and be dishonest and I have to like, keep it secretive that I like do dabble once in a while, then I'm just going to go right back to, to like ruining my life with substances. So I'm open and honest about the fact that I do not practice uh, abstinence today, but, Um, like if I want to go out for dinner, I can, you know, I can have a Caesar with my dinner and it's not me going and ruining my life over it. So it's something where, uh, um, I was able to reintroduce some substances in a uh, responsible manner. So I have a relationship today with substances where, um, they don't have power over me. I was taught in recovery that like I'm powerless over substances Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And I, um, I've i just spent a lot of time re-empowering myself so that uh, they don't control me. They don't have power over me. I have that power over them where I'm able to pick them up, put them down, and they don't ruin my life today.
2: That is beautiful. Now, can I ask without getting too personal about um, when you say that you were working through the issues, what does that mean to you? Like, what were you doing? Because going to obviously NA wasn't giving you all the tools that you needed to get to this point. So what were some of the things that you were doing? Oh,
1: when I was going to NA, they call it, uh, working the steps. So there's like the, the 12 steps. So through working through those, um, and being able to like make amends for some of the things that I've done in my life. And, you know, like, uh, I, am sure we've all done things in our lives that we're not proud of. So it's, it's being able to like realize that, um, even though my head told me I was just like terrible human, um, I was able to work through that stuff and, and, uh, not hold on to it, not let it control me. Like, um, you know, the, the, the worst times in my life, like really, you know, I, I'm not as bad of a person as my head told me I was beautiful. It was a lot of like, like, uh, similar to like therapy. Like I've also done some, some, uh, um, therapies and stuff like that over time.
2: Okay, great, great. Um, okay. And then, so now, cause what you're doing in our community is incredible. Um, are you solely working in Windsor or I was getting, I feel like you've been out West. What's the story behind that? Or do you work uh, with people well, I, out West?
1: I, I work at a festival out there. So there's a, um, oh, okay. the, the, the biggest uh, electronic dance. So EDM uh, music festival in uh, Canada, it's called Shambhala. Mm-hmm. And uh in 2018 um i was asked to come out there and uh um organize and facilitate so they had never had a, uh, a supervised consumption site there before and from what i was told the year before there were people who wanted to use intravenously and they ended up having to use in like the back of a u-haul and you know it wasn't the uh the most hygienic um the most sanitary and they're a a music festival that's well known for their harm reduction practices so when they're so known for harm reduction and then they're having to make people use in a way that felt very um very like stigmatizing it just felt like really like gross um mm. t- per se um so, so they had asked me if i would come out and organize and facilitate and they would give me uh we the first year we did it out of uh, like we still use the back of a uh um like it was a like a cube band so we mm. turned that uh we put up like tarps in there and set up tables and uh um, set it up so people were able to use and uh, dose their substances, so people could weigh out what they were using. So they were making sure that they were using a, an amount that they were not going to overdose. Um, mm-hmm. So we did that the first year. Um, we were supposed to go back last year, and or no, that was 2019, not 18. Mm-hmm. Um, we were supposed to go back last year, but with uh, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't been able to go back, but whenever the festivals are back up and running, we'll be back there again. So, um, that's what I do in BC is yeah, I go out okay. there.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, that is so cool. Um, do you have yeah. anything, Mike? Yeah,
0: yes, I have tons of things. Yeah,
2: I would me. imagine. Yeah,
0: you're being very <laughs> active tonight. Look at you, Leanne. Take a charge. <laughs> well done. Uh, all right. So, all right. First off, thank you.
2: No, I know exactly. This is yeah. all part of me.
0: You know, I've been on uh, Suboxone for over three years, and it's changed my life. You know, it's helped me live the life I want to live, and there's a tremendous stigma with it that I Absolutely. feel bad for. I So I know everything you know. I mean, I have got hooked on opioids when I was about 31. I'm 40 now, so most of my 30s were lost to the... Spiral of addiction, which happens, and uh, I like what you're saying. I think it's refreshing to have a story like yours where you basically said that you dealt with the trauma so that you don't have to have that coping mechanism of, a, of substances anymore, right? Absolutely which is intriguing to me. You don't hear a lot about that. It's definitely a a unique perspective Uh, because I've been in the rooms, you know, just like you on NAA, whatever, smart meetings. Um, These are all different types of groups that people use. If those of you that are watching us, that people try to get into recovery or stay sober for the most part, even smart, uh, which tries to avoid the 12 step process is a cognitive behavioral therapy, which I I like some of that too. But in the end, it was just the medicine that worked for me. And some people in places like AA will tell you, hey, uh, you know, you can't really come to our meetings because you're still on a medicine. You need to be free of all that. And it's just a load of, a load of shit, in my opinion. I don't really think it's really productive because you're just preventing people. I find that the 12-step recovery groups, there's a lot of people who prevent people from getting into a better more stable area of their life because they make things so strict. Is that how you found things to be as well?
1: Um, I can definitely see that for sure. Um, it's, it's very common for like, I, I remember hearing that argument over the, uh, suboxone and methadone and stuff. Like I, I I've heard that a thousand times. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're just on a substitute or whatever, but, um, at the end of the day, as long as it's working for you, like, I don't care how somebody gets there, as long as they get to a point where they're able to, uh, you know, find some happiness. So, yeah, like, it's definitely, uh, I, I feel like, um, the 12 step recovery programs, they, uh, they can definitely hold people back in those regards. Um, I I, I think they mean well, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're trying to help people, but at the same time it can, uh, it can have the opposite effect. Like I've seen a lot of people walk into the rooms and then walk out because, you know, they were told that, you know, it was do it this way. Like it was a lot of people in NA and AA and stuff like that um, are very stuck on. This is the model. This is the only way. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. It's, It's our way or the highway kind of thing. And that's not true. There's so many different ways to, you know, get a, to get better out there. It's um for myself, I don't like to consider myself being in recovery anymore because I feel like recovery has its own stigmas. So I I call like what I'm on, like I'm on a path of discovery. Like for me it's something oh, yeah. where I'm still discovering what I'm trying to, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out what's best for me. Like um I I was recently um up until a few months ago I was on methadone as well. Um, And that's what was working for me at the time. Today I'm not on it. Will I be in the future? It's possible. Um, But yeah, that's what I needed at that time. If I would have walked into an NA room and told people that I was on it, then it probably would have been discouraged. But it's what worked Mm -hmm. for me and that's all that matters.
0: Yeah. I I don't want to start a war between cultures here. That's not my focus. I have no interest in doing that. And uh, it's certainly a net positive for the world that these communities exist to help people. And usually it's the first foray for a lot of people who've never even got any type of connection or support from people like them. So I'm glad that they're out there. They're truly, they really are. They end up being like the front lines, if you will, the first kind of people and the first time that people can say all right well maybe there's another way but it doesn't mean that has to be the way and my biggest problem with aana and it's also you know it's also been around a long time so we've could come up with better ways My, my usual belief about society is that we progress and hope usually hopefully we learn more efficient or newer and less painful ways for people to gain whatever it is they're trying to get out of their life. So, you know what I mean? Like that, you know,
1: yeah. Well, the substances are totally, Yeah, when, uh, um, where, uh, Bob there started it back in the 1930s. Um, and even with like NA, uh, like in the fifties, like it's, you know, the drugs are totally different today. Like it's, you know, the worst thing they really had back then was cocaine. You know, they didn't have things like, uh, like crystal meth or, uh, fentanyl or anything like that back then. So, you know, um, just like the substances okay. progress, so does the uh, um, the the recovery. Or um, you know, like the programming needs to progress with the substances.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you? How do you respond to people who say, "Well, you know, harm reduction is not what we should be doing. We should. I would assume you would be for decriminalizing all drugs. Is that fair to say, or no? Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Uh, I'm not with them, but the people that say. Well, if we just continue to harbor and provide the equipment so people can keep using, we're just aiding and abetting the perpetual use. How do you respond to that?
1: Um, well, right now it's criminalized and it's not stopping it. or it, it, Yeah, it's not like causing it to stop using. So if people are not stopping with it criminalized, what's the worst that can happen? Like, it's, <laughs> right. um, like I, I've seen studies. I, I just saw something. I want to say it was a. Uh, um, on AM eight hundred last week, uh, Dan McDonald had asked about uh, um, people using cannabis since it became legalized, and I think it was sixty three percent of people said they still haven't done it within the last year. So huh. I don't I don't know how honest that that study is. Um, yeah. but at the same time, like
2: yeah, everybody didn't just go out and get high because it was legal absolutely right
1: yes and, and with things being legalized it opens the doors for us to be able to try to uh find a way to use things like all drugs started off in a positive manner so like when they were used in a way that they were able to be used for like medical purposes um when things are legalized you're opening the doors so like with legalizing say uh, psilocybin so magic mushrooms or lsd Um, or ecstasy MDMA Um, things like that have been used for anxiety depression you know different types of studies for mental health so Mm -hmm. with legalizing things like that or decriminalizing it opens the doors for studies to be able to be done on like their actual benefits great point so like things are things are illegal all you're doing is like you're 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 telling people something's bad but at the end of the day, like it, it's there's no grounds for why it's bad. Like the uh, um, the drug war has been known as being racist always. Mm-hmm. So that, of course. That's, 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 a, that's a whole yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's a whole another episode. No, that's
0: that's what's happening. You know, the drug mm-hmm. war is racist and it, it also tries to prevent the outgrowth of the people living in poverty, mm-hmm. which also happens to be. Often, people of minority cultures in the United States, and I would assume Canada as well, but yeah, well, you know, it's
1: especially like you go out west, and uh, you see with people who are uh, uh indigenous. It's uh you know, you you walk down uh, East Hastings, and it's it's predominantly um like indigenous down there. So, like just be like in Windsor, I know we don't have the indigenous population like they do in a lot of other areas but yeah you go out west i've also spent some time living in alberta back years ago and they have a very uh very large indigenous population out there so you you really see it when you're uh when you're in it Mm
0: -hmm. yeah my brother came on he's a professional counselor licensed professional Mm -hmm. counselor Mm -hmm. also has experience with addiction and he's working with people to try to start using psilocybin And MDMA as uh, treatments for people in addiction, and that's a great thing. I've actually
1: started. I've thought about that because I struggle with uh, um, with depression, so it's something where Mm -hmm. I've recently been looking into possibly uh, grabbing psilocybin, just just a microdose. You know, I'm not trying to use it to get high or anything like that. I just um, it's supposed to uh, switch that flip that switch in your brain, and gonna give it a shot and see where it goes. Nice.
2: Nice. Now you have um, for the Windsor Overdose Prevention Society. You started that, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, what is the, like? What is that? How long has it been around? Who's using it? How's that going? Um,
1: well, I started it in. Uh, it was August of 2018, and it was okay. originally started um, just for the uh, the push to get a uh, supervised consumption site, overdose prevention site. Um, it's something where um i think through going to like narcotics anonymous and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i saw the the benefit to like peer support so like i i do believe in like you know the uh the medical models and you know uh doctors and professionals helping as well but i feel like a big part of uh why we use substances is that, uh, that lack of connection, that, that feeling like a disconnect from others. So I I feel like a big part of it is being able to reconnect within our own community. So I started it to be able to push for a supervised consumption site within the area. Um, I wasn't, wasn't really sure what I was setting up when I first started. It was just, there was the, uh, arguments in the media about um us getting a site and then there was really nobody doing anything and it was a lot of uh, a lot of lip service a lot of talk and i just got fed up hearing it and i said you know what like if they're not going to do it we'll do it and i didn't realize the battle we were going to get into Mm -hmm. um so that that's yeah it's definitely uh was a lot bigger hurdle than i initially thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. um so it kind of started off as that um we've tried opening up a site, but it's like barrier after barrier after barrier. Um, if it's not a city official, um, it's the police, it's, Hmm. um, it's it's always someone or something causing some sort of issue our like we could have a site open today if it wasn't like I, we've been emailing the windsor police for about a year and a half um and they haven't responded to our emails um that's the only thing that stopped us from opening a site we've been willing to open one and do it completely volunteer run um so without paychecks and stuff <clears throat> but the windsor police have not re- re- responded to our emails Oh, so man, if they just right. responded to our emails um, our one thing that stopped us right now has been uh, um, health Canada wants us to have somewhere to uh, if anybody leaves any substances behind when they leave they want us to have somewhere for those substances to go somewhere for them to be uh, um, to be disposed of right. so we we had talked to the police and we tried to come up with a plan with them but yeah, it's like pulling teeth to even get them to respond to an email.
2: Wow. So if like anybody if they would, out re- there. If they would
1: respond yeah. and say, yes, you could drop it off here at the end of the night, or mm-hmm. you could keep it overnight and bring it to us the next day when we're open, because mm-hmm. they're only open until I believe it's like 7pm now or something. So okay. if they just told us that we could bring it there the next day and we, you know, we, uh, we wouldn't be arrested if we're driving around with substances in our vehicle. Right. Uh, then we would already have it open, but they, just, like I said, they don't respond to our emails.
2: Okay. So we don't have like a huge following, but if anybody is out there right now in the Windsor Essex area and you have a connection to the Windsor police that you think you'd be able to talk to somebody that knows somebody that could potentially help these guys out, please, please contact Brandon. Brandon, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Um, there's Facebook, uh, it's Brandon Bailey. Um, my phone number is 226-246-5026. Um, email is overdosepreventionwindsor at gmail.com. Uh, right.
0: Yeah, those are pretty easy ways.
2: Great. We'll put them in the in the um, description, right, Mike? We can do that on the Yes, episode?
0: absolutely. We will totally do that. Yeah, yeah that's
2: really important. I didn't realize that, that like you wouldn't think that that would be what was stopping you. Like that's yeah. blowing my mind that that's the issue, you know, yep. um, I thought it was going to be more of finding the people to be able to do this and keep it, um, you know, keep it running or something logistics or something, not that. So, okay. Um, and then yeah, and never-
1: is also like trying to get a building, like it's, um, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get somebody to say yes you could use our building or like even when we've looked at rentals and stuff as soon as we like tell them who we are it's we don't think our neighbors would be would be okay with that or um yeah just it's 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 hard to find people that are accepting of it and you try to educate like a lot of people they're like oh you're giving people drugs it's like no we're not like i'm 100 in support of safe supply Mm -hmm. so like i would love for us to be able to give people a safe regulated supply of of their substance of choice so mm-hmm. they're not having to go and pick up substances on the street that are contaminated with God knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are that's not what we do as of yet. So it's like, no, we don't do that. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of misinformation out there about really what we do or even what a site does.
2: And what exactly, yeah. so what is the site? So what are they going to be doing? Let's say you got a place. Let's say somebody said right now, they know the chief of police. And so he was like, Hey, you know what? I love what you guys are doing. We're going to do this tomorrow. And somebody was like, you know what? You can rent my place. So let's say it all opens up. What would ideally be happening there? Because I think if we just talk about it, it'll get rid of all this. So what would be happening there?
1: Like, what are you asking? Like what happens in a site? Yeah. Yeah, Uh, so it's basically like you're just supervising so instead of somebody like going getting their drugs and going and using a loan in like an alleyway or, you know, on your children's school grounds, or, um, you know, go back to their apartment and using a loan, or who knows where uh, it's they go to a location where there would be like peers, um, as well as medical staff. that are that are on duty and you're there just to watch over people and make sure that they're safe. Um, so people are able to use with supervision. If they are to overdose, um, you'd have like oxygen and Naloxone on hand to be able to reverse an overdose. Um, if anybody was to, you know, say, they ran out of their drugs and they were in a place where they said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this lifestyle. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to get some help. We could provide them with resources. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we could give them, we could give them like the phone number or, you know, call for them and connect them with like detox or, um, you know, we could give a call to a recovery home or uh, tell them where meetings are for like things like narcotics anonymous and smart recovery and, Alcoholics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous and, you know, all those anonymous mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'd be able to provide people with different resources and stuff like that if they were to ask for them. So it's, it's just mm-hmm. basically uh, providing people with a uh, extra line of security a uh, in, in making sure that they don't die.
2: That
0: Yeah, this is common. In Europe, there are harm reduction sites with medical professionals on staff and you can use... There's, uh, I think it's 48 if I'm in Canada. Oh, 48 in Canada, too. Wow. See, yep. look at that. So, And
2: we don't have anything here. In Win- where is the closest London. one to Windsor? London. London. Okay.
0: Yeah, London. What is it? Why? Is it because it's so close to the United States? I don't get it.
1: <laughs> uh, well, our, our mayor says that he's walked down Hastings, uh, East Hastings, and he said he won't let his city look like that. Um,
0: what does that mean? He's-
1: He's very anti uh, people experiencing homelessness and people who use drugs. And that's the reality. Uh, the mayor is um, he lives in South Windsor and his a uh, nice glass house. Right. And he's able to look out of his uh, beautiful windows and, you know, cast stones.
2: Right. I was yeah. just going to say that would be fine if you live in a city that doesn't have these issues. But we don't have issues. We have a crisis here.
1: Yes. And and what they don't realize is like they they sit there and they say, oh, we don't want this here, but it's already happening here. So like really by providing supports like that, you're showing people that you're there to support them in their use. And when you support people in their use, then it makes it easier for them to like get to a healthier position. You know, if they do want to quit, they're going to come to you because they feel safer with you. Right. But when, when they feel like ostracized from the community, then they're not going to go looking for help either.
0: Right. This is what I've been saying for a long time. You know, we have to have inclusivity, not exclusivity. I've been Mm -hmm. saying this over and over again. People, tough love is a bunch of trash. You know, you got the wrong idea about how to deal with these things. You want to give people as much love and support and just surround them with that as opposed to pushing them away. It's so, the damage has been done from the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s is, I don't know if even, I don't even know if we can reverse it. I really don't.
2: We can try. I mean that's what they're doing like this it's just I'm so glad that we're having this conversation and talking about what these sites will be because I I'll be quite honest before you Brandon like I didn't even know that like that that, that was what we were striving for in the city because I was hearing people talk about like having sites that would um uh like where people can go and use safely And the people, the conversation is never the conversation that we just had that then people are not overdosing in their apartment or in the alley or like you said at the very beginning, that it really stems from not having the peer support, not having the connection, not having any of that. Just the fact that you're feeling loved in that space can change everything so quickly. Like it's it blows my mind that we don't have this so now what are you doing i saw that you're testing drugs for people that are using um just to make sure that they're safe because there's so much inside of them are you still doing that or has that uh
1: we have the funds for it so um the fentanyl test strips are not cheap so they're like two bucks a piece Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: yeah yeah they're 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 not cheap so yeah when we have the funds to buy them Mm -hmm. you know a box of them Box of a hundred is 200 bucks. So yeah, when we have funds to buy them, we buy them, but it's not something that's, uh, you know, we're completely volunteer run hundred um, percent like donor based. So like we, we did get some red cross funding from August until November 30th, but they didn't renew our funding. <laughs> so um, yeah, like right now it's, we, we are very tight on our funds.
2: Okay. And, okay, so now if people wanted to, if they're listening to this and they want to donate to you, um, how do they go about doing that? Just find you on Twitter and, or do you um, have no, something set the up?
1: The email or uh, okay. uh, they can call me. Okay. Uh, there's the Windsor Overdose Prevention Society Facebook
2: page. Okay. Um, are you guys, a, are you guys a like a, a not-for-profit kind of thing yeah, we're, yet?
1: We're, we're, yeah, we're a registered not-for-profit.
2: So I know this doesn't matter, but would they get a donation if they donated to like you guys, if they.
1: No, that's that's a charity. That's a so, charity. Uh, OK. Yeah. To get a tax receipt. You have to be a charity. OK. Um, So you can write people tax receipts. OK. Uh, we were looking to become a charity at one point, but with the funding that we had received, it was mm-hmm. for not for profits. So we mm. had to like we had to halt that because if we would have kept going forward with becoming a charity, it would have canceled mm-hmm. out our funding.
2: Okay. <laughs> so ah. backward. Okay. Well, of course it is. Yeah, it's a yeah. total
1: mess. All bureaucracy is a pain in the rear. Oh
2: my god. Okay. It doesn't
0: matter what country you're in. It's always the bureaucracy has grown everywhere, and, and all the major, whatever, the most advanced or latest edition of modernism in a country, bureaucracy will be a part of it. United States, Canada, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. The Europe, the whole European Union's become that as well, and. I got to tell you, man, I really like the message. I'm all for it. I'm 1,000% with it. I don't believe in a lot of the old ways. We need new ways and better ways. And there's not just one way to handle somebody who has an addiction. You know, rehabs to me, I am not a fan of rehabs whatsoever Mm -hmm. in particular. I'm more of a fan of 12-step communities than I am of rehabs. What's that? Oh, I said just like
1: NAAA and all that stuff. They work for some, you know, there's uh, different people need different models um, mm-hmm. as human beings. We're not cookie cutters. So um, there is no cookie cutter. One size fits all way for somebody to get better. We we all yeah. have different ways. You know, some people need like uh, we had t- said about tough love earlier and some people need tough love. But. Then there's other people who they need to be, uh, they need that love and compassion to get through things. So everybody's different and we all need different approaches.
0: Most people who are involved in addiction, in my experience, they don't need tough love. They need more love, generally, I would say. I hear what you're saying and Almost. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Because a lot of it is mostly pain related and trauma related. Like you said, this, it's all stemming from this background, childhood, adolescence, whatever it was. There's so many things that can happen. I know my own experience. My parents got divorced, and I was given a lot of responsibilities at a very young age, and they thought I could handle it. I thought I could handle it, and then it turns out I couldn't handle it, and I just went backwards in life slowly as I got older and older. and I never dealt with it, and it just festered, and sometimes it would come and go, and I, I just want people to be more inclusive to each other. If you are family members of someone who's addicted to a substance, then consider, you know not following this approach where it's like, all right, you got to go. Are you using? (laughs) Like question demands and like looking at using as a bad thing necessarily. Like the the people who are using as well play a role that has been dictated to them. I know it from my own experience where, oh my God, I'm using right now. I'm a bad person. I'm an awful person. That's not the case either. So it's not just the loved ones outside of us who don't know how to deal with us. It's us falling into the trap of the tired role-playing of the user negative bad oh no shame guilt etc
1: well absolutely like I had somebody message me last night um it is uh, a woman from the United States her daughter lives over here and she was talking about how her daughter's been getting back into uh to cocaine lately and um uh she's whatever she's doing to make money uh, i'm not going to put her business out there um mm-hmm. but uh she was like this woman runs a abstinence based um uh like do i say it it's like a a drug user advocacy group but it's it's very abstinence based so she was like telling me how she was going to be like contacting uh, children's aid and having the kids taken away from the mom and it's like that all that's going to do is cause the daughter to spiral that is not Mm going to help her get better like you, you take away You Like, whether she's starting to get into substances or not, this is where she needs support. Like, this isn't where she needs to be, like, ostracized and have her kids taken away. You take away her kids, she's only going to get worse.
0: Right. We have a question here from one of our audience members in the live stream from Stephanie Jolie. She has, I guess I want to ask, why do we need a place where people can use as opposed to having a space with medical staff on site for users to go while high and have cots or what have you? to gather and calm down, but not feel judged. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, so she's saying after they've used somewhere to go and get, like have a safe place after. So not using inside of the, the building. Like maybe um, that. Okay, would- so I'm
1: going to use this as an example. Hmm. Um, have either you guys or the, uh, Um, person that messaged, um, ever smoked pot while in high school, walked back into that classroom where your teacher is sitting there and you're uh, ridiculously stoned and paranoid. That is the most uncomfortable position you can be in. Like a person who uses drugs doesn't want to go use drugs, then go sit around. Um, It's very common in the medical world where um, as drug users, we've been uh like judged and stigmatized by the medical community so do we really want to go sit there with doctors and nurses who have judged and stigmatized us while we're sitting there trying to enjoy our buzz like that just that sounds like a a buzz kill to me
0: that's a huge problem that's another part of this story is the medical community itself i remember i went in i was having withdrawals uh, going into oxy withdrawals and it was really bad and i tried to get help by going to the er in ann arbor and they basically told me, well, you did this to yourself. Just left me on a gurney there while I was like having kind of convulsions, you know, muscle spasms, restless legs, you know, the whole deal. And it was awful. Nobody gave, they could have gave me anything to relax me, at least lower my blood pressure. They didn't do shit for me. I'm a human being. And I walked in that top. They, they said, this is 2016. So it wasn't like it was a lifetime ago. Hey, well, you did this to yourself, man. Nope. Well, all right, see ya.
1: They yeah. needed to give you some more drugs.
0: <laughs> like, they, That's what I'm saying. They, I've been in, I, there was another time I was in a hospital and I got stuck in there because I took like 25 Viking in at once. They thought I was trying to kill myself, but no, that was just my tolerance. It was way out of control, but I told them the truth of how many pills I take. Cause I always tell the truth. I'm an idiot. And so they thought <laughs> I was trying to kill myself. They thought I was trying to kill myself. So they put me on, you know, the 5150. they locked me in, couldn't leave against my own will. And I was started going into withdrawals, of course, because I'd been using. But they gave me a shot of something and I put me right to sleep. I couldn't have been more comfortable and relaxed. It just shows you that they can provide you relief, but they want to, they have this stigma about, you did it to yourself, you piece of trash. It's awful. It's really terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a it? lot of
1: stigma within the medical community. And that's another thing it's like people say, Oh, like I may be in support of a uh, supervised consumption site or overdose prevention site if it was like completely medically run. But I can say like myself as a substance user, I don't want to go sit around a doctor or nurse while I use, I want to sit around other people who use substances. I want to sit around my community and feel like I'm on the same level as somebody else while I'm having that, that buzz or that high. Like, I don't want to go sit around somebody who's you know, spent twenty years in school, and even if they don't feel that they're better than me, I am judging myself sitting next to them.
2: Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah.
0: Stephanie follows up. By the way, she says, "I guess I wasn't saying that would be watching you, but on site in case of emergency."
2: Mm-hmm. What but she you said. know what? That was a really great question. Like, I'm glad that you asked that, Steph, because that is one of the one of the questions that that people are asking, like, why would you use? And I never thought of it that way. But that makes complete sense. So as like a non-user, you would think, oh, that makes perfect sense. Let them do it and then have somewhere safe for them to go. But yeah, I never thought about it. So that was a really great way of explaining it. Um, There's just there's so much around this. And Okay. So I have a question for you. And uh, if you don't have the answer for this, it's fine. But um, cause you've got a little guy, right? How he's a teenager? Uh, 11. Yet? 11. No, he's 11. Okay. He so he thinks he's
1: 30.
2: Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So now what happens when he's going, like, he's obviously, does he live with you full-time, part-time?
1: Uh, 50,
2: 50, 50. Nice. Okay. So, are you open with him with everything? And I know that it's like a young age, but like, so if he were to start using or he, when he goes to high school, how old are you when you go to high school? He's not in high school yet. So when he four, goes to. 14, I think. Okay. Yeah. I'm so far detached from children. Yeah, it that I just don't. Life,
1: so.
2: Oh gosh. Okay. What a cutie. So um, yeah. So when he starts using, or if he does start using, what's the conversation that you're going to have? with him? Have you thought that far in advance? Cause I know that there's a lot of people out there right now that are having children, especially right now they're going through so much mental health and they're, that's kind of up there, but they don't know how to have that conversation with kids. And like you said, you started when you were 12. So what suggestion would you have for parents right now? Or do you have any? I know it's hard, hard
1: conversation. Like it's, it's something where, um, I I guess it's it's just seeing like what like why like it's is there are they using for the fact of like peer pressure is it like are they trying to get a euphoric feeling are they um, are they using because they're trying to escape Um, like are they going through something and and that's why they're using so I guess it's like getting to the bottom of like why are they using the substance to begin with and then going from there because I I think it's very uh, common and honestly it's normal for uh for teenagers to to dabble with substances so um am i really sitting here saying like i want to uh have my kid using um i don't want to say i want him to but i don't want to uh like i'm not going to close the doors to the conversations around it like if he's going to use like i want him to know that he can come to me and be honest about it i'd rather him know that he can come to me and we uh we can have the conversation around it and like How can we have you be as safe as possible while you're using, if you're going to use?
2: Yeah.
0: Awesome. Each parent's different too, and they have their own standards. Yeah, a safety plan for everything Mm -hmm. is huge, whether it's for addiction or suicide. There's a lot of things that you need a safety plan for in mental health in particular. I would Mm -hmm. completely agree with that. Uh, We have another question uh, from Josh who says, would you agree that many times the medical community can make someone want to use more,
2: like stress them out maybe more? Is that what he's getting at?
0: I mean, not, that's possible. Really sure yeah, I guess he's saying he's I guess he's going back to your point where you were saying like yeah. people don't want to be around the medical community if they're using anyway. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he's saying that some reason the medical professionals would make you feel uneasy, or something. I'm not sure. I can't really. Like, I, 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 I think I anything
1: that anything that causes like disease or uh um you know discomfort um is is gonna cause people to uh to to want to use to cover up that uh that feeling i guess
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh would you agree that keeping an open dialogue with kids and feel more comfortable which yeah i think he would agree with that josh uh as well i gotta i gotta say uh brandon there's this teacher, there's this article that came out last week in the New York Post for this professor at Columbia University, a very distinguished university, 54-year-old guy, and he says, yeah, oh, I he use Columbia? heroin. Yeah, Carl That's- Hurt.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've i met him. He's uh,
0: amazing. Oh, you've met him? Yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. Tell us about it then.
1: Um, well, within that article, he was just talking about how he is a, uh, a regular recreational uh, heroin user and i i think he's trying to break that stigma that you can be a recreational user because people think if you're using opiate or if you're using something like uh crystal meth then you have to be this uh quote unquote addict um or like you have to have a substance use disorder and that's not the truth you know um i myself use uh um like i have add and adhd so i have to take uh um, like Vivance, And really it's only uh, a few components off from being like a form of meth. So, you know, like that, that is a safe regulated version, but that doesn't cause, like, I don't have a problem. I'm just using my pills as directed. Mm-hmm.
2: So. Um, not even yeah, that, you- like how many people are out there right now, just in the city of Windsor that use on a daily base, like just on a, a recreational basis that like we'll never know those numbers of how many people are just using you know so then there's this this stigma mm-hmm. like what where do you get to the point that it becomes like it's an issue to use because the P- the same people i would imagine that the same people that are saying we shouldn't have these sites we shouldn't be doing these things we shouldn't it's awful it's awful are still using something in their, you know, on their weekends or on whatever, but they're like functional. So they're okay.
1: Uh, that same person that is uh, anti a supervised consumption site is going to go sit in a bar and drink alcohol, which is a supervised consumption point. site for booze. So
2: great point.
0: Yeah. It's always been that way. Alcohol has been sanctioned. For some reason, everything else wasn't, and it's just all political. That's all. Because it was. alcohol is
1: like made for white people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, That's interesting. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about it like that. I know plenty of people who drink and have had major problems with alcohol from all backgrounds, but I get the point. I I know what you mean. That's why it was repealed in the United States back in 1933 when it was prohibited because white people were just doing whatever they wanted anyways, and white people got pissed. I would agree with that for sure. Uh, Man, this has been really interesting, Brandon. I'm so glad that we were able to get you on and – I think it'd be great if you could maybe kind of be a regular once in a while, kind of check in with us and give us updates from the community so that we can continue to push this agenda forward, which is not an agenda that should be dismissed by anybody. Don't assume you know everything. Don't assume that you learned it all, even if you're older than me or older than any of us here. You don't know what you don't know. And don't assume that your government or other institutions have given you the proper information about all of this. Isn't that fair to say, Brandon?
1: Absolutely. A lot of the things that I've learned have been in the past three years. Like it's even being in the recovery community and thinking I knew everything about substance use. Um, you know, I, I knew a lot about things coming from a, uh, abstinence based background, but it's only been like the last three or so years that I've, uh, really dove into, uh, to harm reduction. So, and, and that's like a, a whole nother, uh, whole nother spectrum that I didn't even know existed.
0: Yeah. The only problem I foresee here is the fact that these Drugs are technically illegal, and that's just the main problem. If we can get rid of that barrier, then we can really start building up these harm reduction sites where they should be in the first place. And I, I'm talking also from the United States point of view, which they don't exist, essentially. I, I lived in Philadelphia uh, for about six months in 2019, and there's this huge battle going on. There's this place in Philadelphia yeah, that people. is just, what's that? Safe Safe house. Yeah, there's a place, an area called Kensington in Philadelphia. They were trying to start a safe house, and the mayor was, again, doing the same type of thing. It's a bigger city than Windsor, but it's the same story. And it's so frustrating to see that people just don't understand. And they don't even care about it in their own lives. That's the other part, too. So much of society, so much of us walking around doing our own things in our lives while having these opinions about things we know very little about. So that's why it's important that you listen to our podcast. I'm talking everybody out there. Listen to what you hear Listen to people who are out there every day, like Brandon. He knows what he's talking about. He's living it. He's experiencing it through others and his own eyes. So it's so valuable. And I really want to thank you for giving us your time, man. I really do.
2: Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much. And I love, I I feel like for me, that one of the biggest, there's so many huge takeaways, but the biggest part of it was I think you coming out of it and knowing that you are going to, I think you called it the path of discovery that you're just kind of learning. And instead of, cause the, I, str- I mean, I just have a food addiction, but I am constantly on that abstinence or not abstinence, abstinence or not abstinence. And it's like, if you're not abstaining, then there's something wrong with you. But then it's like, do I have to? And you're having this inner struggle. I love the path of discovery. I think that is so cool, just to like figure out where you're at and why you're doing the things that you're doing. And your whole thing about talking to kids about why they're doing the things that they're doing too. Just communication is huge. So thank you so much. And, and if there's anything else that you want to bring up um, or discuss before we, you know, wrap it up, by all means. Um, but this has been fantastic.
1: Oh, I appreciate you guys having me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, one more thing, you do a lot with the like our homeless community. Um, if you need, if people are hearing here and they want uh, to know how to kind of help, because I think you do, you, do you do food help? Uh, with yeah, food
1: every, every Saturday we go and we uh, we provide a meal.
2: Okay, okay. So if they want to, same thing. If they want to volunteer, if somebody's listening to this and say, you know what, I really want to help with that too, they can just same way. Get a hold of you, and it's all volunteer. Okay.
1: Cool. Same ways, yeah. Like we we have a, a team that's uh, that does our serving and stuff every week. Um, so yeah, like we're always looking for more people that want to uh, to help and cook meals and stuff, or or uh, mm-hmm. donate ingredients and things like that.
2: Beautiful. Okay, that's amazing, Brandon. Thank you so so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this
0: has been great, man. I want to thank Brandon Bailey for joining us. And don't forget, all of his information is right here. For all those of you watching the live stream, Uh, if you're listening to the podcast version, you can check out Brandon at bbailey860rw and at Windsor OPS, of course. And we're the First Day Pod. And next week, we will continue forward with Danielle Salinger, who will be back to talk about mental health and see how she's doing in that venture. Don't forget our book club, 8 p.m., Monday nights, Eastern Standard Time. We just started a brand new book, right, Leanne?
2: Yeah, we did. The universe has your back. So um, we're going on to chapter three and four next week. So if you want to join us, it's not too late. Um, I also wanted to let you guys know there's a couple things coming up. Um, So we just announced a giveaway. We're going to do it for the first time. We're going to see. So those Banna shirts, when Banna was on here, they have a Be Kind to Yourself shirt. So we're um, giving away one of those to one winner that will be randomly drawn uh, next Wednesday Um, so you have about a week it'll close next Tuesday and the next Wednesday during our like Instagram check-in we'll announce that Um, so you'll get the t-shirt and you'll also get um, a one month to audible so you can you know get more uh, wisdom and education uh, through there Uh, another thing that's going on is the Canadian mental health has a program that's going to be, it's, uh, called miles for meaning and they're in the running for $25,000. Um, and what they have to do is you join their team and any activity that you do between March 1st and March 31st, if you join their team and add the app to collect your miles, whether you run, you walk, um, I think there might be something else you can't bike ride. Um, every mile that you do, they get 10 points. I think it's 10 points. And then whoever gets the most points at the end of March 31st could win or will win $25,000. So, um, join the Canadian mental health. We have a post on it on our Instagram page. You can get all the information there or DM us, uh, join their team. We're joining. Um, I think they're right now they're at like they had to get a second team because they, um, they max out at a hundred. So they've got like 125 people or something like that on it right now, please, no matter where you're listening to this from, it doesn't have to be Windsor. Um, wherever you, you are, I have friends in California and Arizona right now that are signing up, um, sign up to help the Canadian mental health, um, association, the Windsor chapter. Um, they could really use the money because uh, we really do have a crisis in our city well around the world right now um and then just one last thing is that we had a um different episode on sunday it was a three-parter so um when you go to check out this episode with brandon you'll notice that there were um a couple other episodes so check those out as well so that is it for housekeeping but thank you guys so much and brandon thank you thank you thank you that's it all right, Bye. All right.